Welcome, everyone, to the Healthy Indoors show. Um, in our pre-show, I, I was accused of that we start, you know, I was accused of the fact that we've, we start late. And uh, one of our guests, uh, Jay West here, said, uh, you guys always start three minutes late. Well, I guess we're starting nine minutes late. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put all the blame on Zoom. You know, and uh, corporate, they can come sue me over that. But it took them nine minutes to link to the Internet. So here, here we are. And uh, that's all good, right? Yeah. So welcome to the Healthy Indoors show. I'm your host, Bob Krell. I'm the publisher of Healthy Indoors magazine. We've got a great panel today. Um, this is this was predicated by a week ago. Joe Madosh and I were uh, actually, and, and Bill Robinson here, one of our, actually all of our guests, except for John, uh, were at the uh, BPA virtual online conference, the National Home Performance Conference. And I believe it was last Wednesday, uh, 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 one of our panelists, Bill here, did a presentation on moisture and I followed it up on a mold presentation. And it became blatantly apparent that there's a lot of issues on the building performance side and the weatherization side with addressing moisture and mold problems, uh, especially on program projects, right? That are, that are under the auspices of either a weatherization or a building performance uh, state supplemented type program. Um, so hence our, hence our panel today. Uh, so what we're gonna be doing is discussing moisture and mold for building performance and weatherization programs in, in properties and how we're currently dealing with it and maybe how we could deal with that better. So uh, with us today, let me introduce our, our esteemed panel um, in, in actually no particular order. Uh, from, uh, uh, from Train to Build in New Orleans, Louisiana, Bill Robinson. Uh, Bill works in hot and humid, uh, in the hot and humid climate of the Gulf Coast, providing consulting and training for builders and homeowners to create durable, efficient, and healthy homes. Bill's been a mainstay of the building performance uh, industry, uh, presented so many times, I, I don't even know. Uh, and that's not to say uh, you've been around a long time, but you definitely have uh, a long track record. Um, also with us is Kelly Cutchen. Uh, she's a consultant for SMS uh, in Auburn, Maine. Kelly has been providing training and technical assistance to the DOE Weatherization Network as a consultant to DOE since early 2009. In this time, she has helped develop the standardized training curriculum, facilitated the National Trainers Consortium, assisted in the development and implementation implementation of, of the quality work plan and crawl through weatherized attics and crawl spaces in over 30 states and territories on DOE monitoring visits. So she actually does do it, which is impressive. <laughs> and a lot, there's so many, I just have to say that because there's so many consultants that <laughs> consult from afar. So hats off to that. Uh, before joining uh, the WAP community, Kelly uh, worked designing and building efficient non-toxic homes in both Kentucky and New England. So welcome, Kelly. Good to see you again. Um, Jay West from CETA Incorporated in Chicago, Illinois. Jay is the training manager at CETA in Chicago. He has earned a strong national reputation for bringing together high-tech training tools and effective training skills. He delivers training that sticks for students in the classroom, lab, online, and field venues. Since the beginning of 2009, he has trained hundreds of instructors, energy auditors, quality control inspectors, and crew members from around North America. He's been involved at the federal, state, and local levels, delivering building performance training, developing curriculum, performing building research, facilitating working groups, and implementing process of improvement strategies. And he's also kind of sarcastic uh, when the show doesn't start on time. Great to see you, Jay. Hey, you forgot to mention I'm available for weddings and bar mitzvahs. Yeah, that's I did forget to mention that, and I'd like to keep it that way. Okay, and uh, last but not least on our panel, John Mitchell is the CEO of JLC Industries. John is the owner and CEO of JLC. Previously, he was the Dean of Education for the Home Performance Institute of New England and owner of uh, JLC Green Technologies. John is called upon by companies to mentor and train their employees, be it office or field training on protocol and work performance as startups for vocational schools, from planning and implementing learning procedures to generating approved curriculum. So that's like, wow, in one sentence, I actually was able to say all that, John. Uh, these learning uh, institutions have become successful places of higher learning as a result of John's uh, plans of action. So he consults with both utility companies and private companies on developing and implementing protocols in the home performance industry in order to raise the bar on qualified personnel as well as procedures. Welcome, John. And we go way back too. Oh, yeah. And then, of course, in, you know, in the co-pilot seat, as usual, 
and he's sitting there. He's muted again. So, you know, you can unmute now. Um, the healthy building scientist and chief provocateur from Hayward Score from the great state of Colorado, Mr. Joe Medosh. Are you frozen, Joe? Joe is literally frozen. Frozen Joe Medosh. Frozen Joe. Okay, well, um, this is Zoom. Zoom is really not making me feel good about life today, but that's all right. We'll, we'll go with it. We're gonna we're gonna roll with this, um, and he'll he'll be back. I guarantee. So, as I did in in the pre roll here, uh, discussed what we what we did see last week at that conference, which was a great conference. We we saw kind of there's disconnect, right? Everybody recognizes there's moisture problems in a variety of the buildings that both the weatherization and the building performance sectors have to deal with. Um, and often that leads to microbial issues, right? Mold problems in the buildings. And that's, that's where you guys get shackled, right? In the program side, because you can't really work on these buildings, right? So there's the, the term uh, deferring. And uh, it's, it's, you know, and with my discussions with Jay, John and uh, Kelly, you know, it's, it seems like that's all too often a common thing. So, um, there's three sectors we identified really and again it's uh, you know the weatherization side which is you know strictly program based you've got the uh program assisted building performance work you know that happens in many places around the country and then you have what i would call just private sector building performance work that's just private contractor work that's a little bit less encumbered right not being not being subsidized so contractors can pretty much make their deals and do do things how they want so um, so I guess my first thing, you know, as I'm, as we're waiting for a uh, question, Joe, to show back is I'm going to ask Bill, um, moisture problems. Now you're Bill's based in the Gulf coast. He's, he's in Louisiana. So we know there's moisture down there, but is this a problem that's just, we should be concerned about down, you know, down South of the border and down, uh, down, down in the Gulf coast, or is this something that we're dealing with everywhere? In my opinion, what happens is down here with 60 inches of rain, all the water and the humidity in the air and the ground, and of course the levees alongside, I think this is the Petri dish for what happens when we have excessive or uncontrolled moisture. Moisture is everywhere. So I think that, yeah, we can see what the real big examples are here, but it's happening in Phoenix as well. So yes, absolutely. And, it's, it's, and so I guess to, to follow up on that, why do you think... Is, is there a single reason or are there a few common uh, reasons why we're experiencing moisture problems in our indoor environments? Uh, I'm going to step in a pile here by saying what I'm going <laughs> to say here. Uh, you know, I was involved uh, working through LSU Ag Center. I still do part time. And we were we were training all the weatherization contractors in Louisiana and I was doing insulation. And I found out very quickly that they were dense packing cellulose in walls with weatherboard only, which is, you know, horizontal lap siding with no weather resistive or no house, house wrap. And wow, that was a big problem. And so I was able to get with some other folks and we wrote up kind of a deciding factor about what we should do with that. So with that, what was happening was from on high, there was direction about how we should weatherize or make houses more energy efficient or whatever the right term is without any consideration about what happened when you dense pack cellulose in a wall that didn't have any moisture barrier in it. So yeah, I don't think there's enough attention paid to it. I think this is a perfect op opportunity to bring this higher up on the level of considerations. So, so that, that leads me to the question to the remainder of the panel. Um, you know, we, we have this moisture problem. This moisture problem often becomes a mold issue. And again, you know, for those of you out there who don't know my background, I, I been involved with mold for a long time as both a consultant, a contractor, and a trainer. So, you know, I see this problem, but again, from the private sector side, uh, not so much on the program side, but what happens, you know, what happens in the situation where we're dealing with either weatherization related work or perhaps uh, uh, program assisted uh, building performance work? How do we deal with that? And I'm going to put, put that out to, uh, well, I'll let you, who, who wants to jump on that one first? <laughs> I'll leave it that way. Well, one thing we're seeing with program uh, work is, like you said, it's all being deferred, no matter what we do. Um, the only way that we can actually obtain to, to fix the problem that we have with all these moisture issues is moving to a different format or a program that actually will push for taking care of that, such as the Healthy Homes Initiative, stuff like that. If we move into a way where we can actually uh, get a program behind that will allow us to help take care of the water, the moisture issues, then that's what we need to do. But just the idea of our programs just deferring all the moisture jobs because there's 
12 square feet of mold or whatever, that's an issue that we we can only obtain by uh, getting rid of the, um, or adapting the programs to allow us to, to do the remediation work in there. Kelly, are you seeing that nationally though? I mean, what, what how, how, is that pretty much what's happening with programs all over the country? Is that... Not everywhere. It depends on, um... When the local service providers, they're often community action agencies, but we have a couple other entities out there too. If they have the resources, they are able to pull in other resources because the Department of Energy's guidelines, we can use weatherization funds to handle source control. So if it's a drainage issue, if the water is like bulk moisture intrusion, um, roof leaks, those can be addressed with the weatherization money and limited water damage repairs can be conducted with weatherization money. This is for on the federal level. Some states decide to be a little more strict. Um, what we can't do is we can't test any existing mold and we can't clean up existing mold unless we need to clean that surface to do weatherization, as in like to apply caulk or something like that. So, um, but some agencies are successful in finding other funding streams and, you know, bringing them all together so that when we're weatherizing the house, we're also able to do these healthy homes and healthy indoors type, type things. Jay, how, Chicagoland area, it would see to, I mean, how do you guys deal with these situations? Well, it's always, there's always an internal debate because it is always a struggle over, you know, mind and heart we want to help people and we want to figure out ways to get in there and do weatherization. But at the, but at the same time, we have, a, like I said, an internal debate over at what point we are doing harm. Obviously our first credo is do no harm. So, you know, it's always a complicated, it's like Bill said earlier, uh, you know, never going to give you, probably can't give you a, a, an easy answer, mm -hmm. but, uh, but we, I can tell you this, that it is something we keep track of our deferrals. And I do want to define a deferral in weatherization means that uh, we we are not going to service you now, but we will we can service you after whatever kept us from working on your house stopped us from. So it's not saying that it's not a walk away. A lot of people use those interchangeably. It's not. So in our in our respect, we are, as Kelly said, we are looking first at source control. So oftentimes, you know, mold is obviously a symptom of, of a moisture issue. And we're generally, that moisture issue for us predominantly is bulk water. So the, our debate, I think a lot of times centers on is stopping the intrusion enough. And then of course, if, if so, how do we stop intrusion? Where do we get the money for it? Um, sometimes it's just a flashing issue, you know? And sometimes it's it's a major issue with the, with the basement. The thing is when you, you, know, you say, you did mention that you, you know, deferring is not walking away, but I mean, isn't it de facto walking away? Because in, you know, a, a lot of these clientele don't have the resources to have mold consulting and mold remediation work done. So it, in, in effect, you're telling them, well, once you fix this, we can come back, but do they even have the resources to fix it? Is de facto a legal term? I, it, it sounds it. It sounds legal. <laughs> I got to get my legal people on that. Legal no, but, uh, yeah. You know, I mean, I it's, it's, it's all, all good to say, oh, well, you, know, you fix this and yeah. we'll come back. But I mean, because well, I, yeah. I was in, you know, I, I worked in the NYSERDA program for a while as a contractor two no. years ago. And it was the same thing. Now, we were a mold remediation contractor, you know, so we were a weird animal in New York back in the so, mid, <laughs> mid 2000s. And so we could do the work. I mean, we actually were trained to do all that, but there still was no money for it. I mean, you know, no. I think that's a really, no, but it's a tough question and it's a very, but it's a fair question because really fix the word fix. What does that mean? And that's again, where I, and I think you're really helping me to, to communicate a little bit better. The thing is that how we define fix is up to us and we debate that. So stopping the water from coming in, is that fixing it? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. And that's really where we battle because we don't use the M word. We say, we say potential water damage because like Kelly said, we don't test for it. We don't, um, we don't have the expertise and we don't want to, to lead people to believe that at the same time. Mm -hmm. That's so that's, that also does limit us to decide, uh, you know, what, where, what is fixed. 
Well, that, that leads that leads a good uh, follow up question to Bill. I mean, what what is fixed? I mean, obviously, you know, this mold is a symptom, right? Mold in the indoor excessive mold growth in the indoor environment. It, it's I mean, I, I will go as far as to say it's not the problem. It's it's a symptom of an underlying moisture problem. And Jay just said that, actually, you know, but right. But but he did just say that. But let, let me let me take that a step further, though. But there's, you know, the, the whole potential health risks and, you know, and the concerns that people have of mold exposure, if you just fixed a moisture problem and you dried out the source of, you know, perhaps, you know, that was caught, you know, the moisture was causing the mold, many times you're going to exacerbate the mold problem because now you've dried it out and it's going to be aerosolized. So you, you, you did that fix it. What do you think, Bill? Well, well, I think that, that, you know, this doesn't have to be 100% for one thing, you know, when, when we did, I'm going to use the term uh, remediation or repair rather than fixed, it's like the word perfect, I, that doesn't fit in my vocabulary. Uh, I think that using the example of what we did here with the weatherization assistance program and insulation contractors and dense packing cellulose in walls is, you know, the common older house has weather boards or, you know, horizontal lap siding and no weather resistant barrier. And so the whole point there was, first of all, in this case, we said, unless you wanna take off the siding, just don't insulate the walls. And it's like, oh my goodness, we can't do that. So fixed means, you know, doing a typical common code approved and not even high performance building in this case, but code approved repair, like a weather resistant barrier, water resistant barrier and flashing. And, and I wanna toss it in now, just in case it doesn't get a chance later on is, while we're talking a lot about bulk water, I see a lot of issues here too with just air infiltration. Because what we have here, because I work on a lot of older homes here, we have air infiltration and we have elevated relative humidity in, in houses. And then of course we found out now that, you know, that humid air is buoyant, it flows to the ceiling and all those kinds of things, which causes other problems. So for me, the big fix is either to, you know, just flash it, air seal it, or leave it alone. And I don't even know that that's necessarily a deferment in this case. It's just a common practice. Joe, you got to have a follow-up to this. I know you do. You're going to have to unmute. So there's lots of studies that show just a one inch of uh, air leakage uh, will allow an enormous amount of moisture to flow through that. So um, we, we understand that there's a relationship between air leakage and moisture, especially if you're in a high moisture uh, area like you are, Bill. So um, you know, when you're doing other parts of the, the upgrades for the house, you are actually re controlling or reducing the moisture. So I totally agree with that. There, there's no argument there. Um, I do want to touch real quick briefly on you, you guys talked about the word fix or, as Bill says, remediate the condition, but uh, both Jay in Illinois and in New York require a professional to do that. So does the weatherization agency also say that you must have a professional or me as a homeowner, can I just tear the dang wall down? You know, it's covered in mold. There's like the water stopped, but I'm just going to tear it off so you no longer see mold. Is that enough to get somebody to come back out and get my home upgraded with, uh, you know, as they describe new windows and uh, a new hot water tank? <laughs> you had to mention windows, huh? I did. He did. <laughs> he did. Cause they, certainly they're, they're the bastion of energy savings in, in the world. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm going there. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. They're, that's what we do. We replace, <laughs> we, we rarely replace windows for those of you in the TV world. Um, only if they have a cost to savings uh, in, uh, in ratio, um, and they rarely do. So, but as far as your your question or your comment about who decides, it's it's a case by case, you know, case by case scenario, Joe. And it's no, no, always, no but are, do you because your your state requires a professional to assess. Correct. Do, so, are, are, do you do you make sure that they have a professional do it, or does it does that matter? Because homeowners can do whatever they want in their homes. So I'm just trying to add. We do. So that's why we don't know. We don't know if it's that, that potential water damage. We don't know if it's the M word or if it's another word. We don't know. We're not experts and we don't test for it. So then how it's um, what the, what they have to do to uh, remediate. Uh, I know it's a technical word too. What they have to do so that we can now do work now that we can come back after the deferral is going to be on a case-per-case -case basis and it, and it is again that's really where our internal debates i'm gonna be honest with you we have heated arguments about this because we you know you've got one group of people that are like we need to help these people and 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 get in there and there's another group of people saying that we need to not hurt these people and if we get in there we won't so the 
the we you know really I guess maybe maybe there's a um, an analogy to um, to the COVID crisis and the lack of testing because we don't test for it. So we don't know, and part of, and there are complicated and important reasons why we don't test for it. So the I probably could have just said it depends. <laughs> and so on the on the federal level, so the guidance given from DOE to the states to interpret is just that if you are um, if you have to defer the home because of a mold or moisture related issue, you have to then include in writing the conditions that must be met in order for weatherization to move forward. And that's kind of up to them um, to decide how, how strict they wanna be. Like Jay said, since we aren't allowed to test, we don't even know if it is mold for sure, um, or if it's active or anything. They're a lot more stringent on things like uh, if we find asbestos, that if we're going to defer, they have to then show that they had a professional clean that up because we don't wanna be putting the clients in a position where they they put themselves at danger to get this service um, got it well it has to do with a hazard uh a regulated hazardous waste too whereas like when you're dealing with asbestos in all 50 states that's considered regulated hazard you know it's a regulated hazard whereas uh even in states with mold licensing the mold itself is not really uh uh considered to be a hazardous material so it's, it's, so it's, you know, there's a, it's a little bit of a different situation as far as from a regulatory standpoint. Um, I could speak to New York's uh, mold licensing that went into effect in 2016. A homeowner, you know, a single family owner can do their own work as many other entities are exempted from doing their own work in New York, uh, even multi, in multifamily type situations. Um, so, you know, that being said, uh, so I, I do want to introduce Doug Horgan actually, actually made it. Uh, so hi, Doug. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to have you unmute and introduce yourself. Doug was originally invited to the panel was not available. And now he, he appeared mysteriously with uh, thermal imaging behind him. Very happy that I could, uh, could join in. I, I hope I have something to contribute and uh, what a, what a great group you got here. Just, uh, just introduce as far as your company and what you do, just because every, we've gone around with everybody else. I'm a residential remodeler in the Washington DC area. So I've got to do a fair amount of troubleshooting and, and figuring out moisture issues. Are you doing mostly program work or are you, are you doing mostly just private sector stuff? Mostly private sector. I, okay. I used to do some, some program work uh, a few years ago. Okay. Well, welcome. That's uh, and, and now we, now we have our, uh, our private sector contractor. So it's uh, we're all here. Yeah. I mean, John and I actually could, you know, could wear that hat from uh, uh, previous yeah. times. It's been a while though. So, um, so what, what's, What's a first of all? What's a contractor to do? That's or let, let's just step back. What's a program to do? You know, weatherization program when they're if they're running into a lot of buildings with these issues. So you know, I mean, I, I get that your rules are well, we have to defer until it's fixed. But I mean, Jay, I think you alluded to the fact that isn't it a problem? I mean, you can see internal, con you know, like you, the houses that maybe need the help the most are the ones you have to walk away from, right? Absolutely. I think. Oh, sorry, Jay. I think Kelly knows. <laughs> um, I think that what Jay's doing at CETA and a few others out there, I wish it were more widespread, but tracking these deferrals and the causes of these deferrals, that's really what we need to be able to go to policymakers, to be able to go to people funding different programs to say, look, we could have treated all these houses that are typically the housing stock that are our biggest energy savers. You know, they're our biggest wins when we're able to treat them. If you, if it's EPA or some other organization could give us money so that when we run across mold and moisture issues, we can get a professional in there to remediate it and bring that home into weatherization readiness. Without that data, we don't really, it's very difficult to make a case. So, so is that data being collected? I mean, currently you met, you mentioned it, but I mean, is that something that uh, across the U.S. is that like a concerted effort to do that? Unfortunately, um, the federal government is not allowed to require certain types of data collection and reporting, so that isn't something that can be required. It's definitely highly encouraged, and when we do find good examples, we you know share those around the network. Um, but it, it all comes down to, you know, CETA is a big organization. We have some agencies out there, like John might know of in North Carolina, where, you know, it's one, one person 
yeah. and like one crew and they do six houses a year, they aren't necessarily going to have the time or the wherewithal to track at that level. Um, yeah. And, and it goes the same for the states. Some states do a pretty good job, like Wisconsin is really, they have tons of additional utility money. So they have the staff there to do evaluations and data tracking and stuff like that. But then some states like, like North Carolina, again, there are like two people at the state office. And I don't even think they're both able to devote full time. <laughs> yeah, North Carolina, South Carolina, they're both in the same boat. We got agencies out there with just one of I know one agency right on the coast. There's only one man. That's it. Who's doing the whole show? Can't expect any results from that. You know, four houses, five houses a year, like like Kelly was saying. Um, it's sad, but that yet up in Connecticut, our agency up here that we have, they have a office staff, an army that can collect all that data and come up with all that referral information and stuff and that deferral things. I mean, Jay, have you come up any percentages on deferrals? I mean, yep. deferral, deferrals, that's including asbestos, lead, mold, radon, so forth, so on. And on people. Number, but you're breaking it down to each little thing, right? Well, yes and no. So the the reason why we track deferrals is uh, is not because we're looking for data. It's because we do so many jobs. It's just part of, in order to keep things organized, we have to do it. So we have a process where we have a piece of paperwork where we, where we give it to them and say, this is why we're going to defer. This is what you need to do. Then, you know, once you do that, contact this number, then we go back to the office. We put them, we, we, we let the office know that these folks have been deferred. We put them into, you know, a special, we put them into the system. And then when they return, then we send somebody back to verify that. And, and again, exactly like you said, because we are so big, um, we have to do it that way. And then we started to look back and say, hey, wait a second, we could look. So to, to answer your question, percentage wise, um, when it's rainy in the rainy season, we're like 67%. Um, so yeah, so it, it's a huge amount. And if you so if you think about the amount of people that are actually applying and then get approved and then to get approved and then for us to defer um it's a huge for us again that's that that you know that comes into you know that's hundreds hundreds of homes 67 percent deferral we had it at a, at a high point and it's you know, and wow. as far as it breaks down john i don't know if, but uh i can't give you a, a data but i can tell you that it's that it tends to be bulk water issues we have uh leaky roofs and leaky basements and that happens that is a frequent that's very that's just a common common aspect of day-to-day day -day life for us that's an industry killer that number holy mm -hmm. cow right so, so it's only over that's only over like a month right. but overall but still nonetheless that, that's that's huge so i mean so doug comes in from a different perspective because he's again doing private sector um which is admittedly where i'm more familiar with as well um and what are you seeing? Are you seeing a high, uh, you know, a high incidence of uh, moisture problems? I mean, is that predominantly what you deal with or you're dealing with doing uh, energy efficient stuff too, right? Well, yes. I mean, most of the work that I've personally been doing in the last few years has been in high end uh, residences. So anything that's wrong with the house, the folks want fixed and water, water issues are more often a driver of projects than an obstacle. So that's, we'll get the call because of the water problem or because of a humidity issue, a comfort issue. So that can turn us into doing a, a lot of energy work, uh, but it's, it's, it's a completely different picture from program work. One of the things I wanna make sure we clarify is the concept between, and maybe I missed it at the beginning, sorry, my computer decided to stop. Uh, is the difference between what is considered a uh, surface condition versus the bulk water. A lot of things we were talking about are bulk water, bulk water. So clearly when there's a major roof leak, plumbing leak, whatever, that is a, uh, a major issue that requires a lot of uh, somebody to fix the leak and then fix actually the conditions that it caused. But um, I, I see a lot of people who panic. Believe me, they come to Hayward Square all the time. I've got some mold in my uh, upper corner of my bathroom. What do I do? Uh, is it okay to let my kids go in there? Can I, can I use the bathroom? And uh, unfortunately, the, the black mold fear factor is well endowed in how people think about whatever this stuff is on their bathroom. So do you guys have the ability to train people or uh, to determine that 
this is clearly a minor moisture issue. I describe it as a, a maintenance or a human factor as to that either their bath fan's not working, they're not using mm -hmm. it, uh, all those kind of things. So can you guys go around the horn briefly to talk about like, this is actually something that the homeowner can address, they can fix, and we can fix this by replacing an exhaust fan, not deferring this whole house because there's something on the wall. And it could be a significant area. You could say, wow, this is actually like the majority of the ceiling and wall. Everybody, we're done. Get out of here. John, you want to touch, touch that? I, you're breaking up when I couldn't hear a few seconds ago where you're saying. Can anybody else hear me? Were you, were my I heard you, but I think I Bill. You. I hear you. Bill, we haven't heard from you in a while, man. Cough it up, Bill. Well, it's all boiling up in here, so I guess I'll let some of it out now. <laughs> I, well, I think that, you know, especially like the example you used, Joe, because what I get called in, I, I no longer do weatherization. Oh, we do a lot of uh, air sealing stuff is our big thing, and sometimes, you know, sizing air conditionings and things like that. But like in the bathroom, we get a lot of calls where there is a bath fan or some device that has a wheel in it. That, that's causing issues, you know, without a humidistat and all those kinds of things. And so I think those things are relatively easily fixed. And I'm not sure if I'm answering your question or not, but we see that often uh, where that happens. And it's disconnected from the weatherization program. But it's my opinion that the weatherization program is kind of caught in between lanes here sometimes based on funding. And it's not able to do these other important things. And that's just my whining. So I don't know if I answered your question or not, Joe. If I didn't ask me again. Right, well, we'll see if somebody else is uh, able to give some. I'm going to bring up one slide that Bill mentioned earlier just to show the where Bill lives. This is significant moisture and air leakage is huge. That is one week with one inch hole, you can get up to 14 pints of water moving through the one inch hole. So if you live in a uh, heating season could be as many as seven and a half gallons or 30 quarts. But in general, this is actually a large amount of moisture. This, and that's just one inch. So we now know most people have a window size hole. So moisture in the south with air leak, it just Bill pointed out, is a significant number. Well, not just the South. I think Bill would concur with that, right? I mean, this it, up up here in uh, the Northeast during the summer months, we have high humidity, so you know it's it, we're not always uh, sub-zero with snow. Although we had snow in Syracuse two days ago, uh, but generally yeah. speaking, <laughs> you guys are about so in the North, you're about thirty quarts or so throughout the heating season. So moisture is an issue everywhere that has air leakage, but the South is like wow, that's that's you you collect that moisture and do something with it. But demographically, we're seeing it like down south. We're seeing like every home that gets air sealed gets air sealed to the best potential, but they pay specific attention to the ventilation inside the home and they make sure they do the ash rays and they put in their fans like they're supposed to. Up here, it's a little bit different. Up in Connecticut, what's an ash ray fan? What are you talking about? I mean, what's the 1200 standard? They still don't understand all this stuff. I know, plug your ears, it is what it is. <laughs> there it goes, Jay. It is, um, it, this is just a big circle without, these guys actually understand what they're doing to actually do the right thing is, is kind of tough. They're just gonna do what the program, and I'm not speaking of DOE, I'm speaking of like the utility programs and stuff. They just gonna follow that like sheep and do what they gotta do just to get paid. And if it's right, it's right. If it's not, we'll come back tomorrow. There, there are parts yeah, well, people think of ASHRAE as a, as a brand. Do you guys refer to ASHRAE fan as a brand? Well, yeah. ASHRAE specified fan. Right. Yeah, yeah uh, whenever they call it, they all put the ASHRAE, yeah. ASHRAE fan. They refer to it as a concept. Like, what just needs an ASHRAE fan? Yeah. Sorry about that. But is there any consistency ac across the country with this, you know, how, how this is addressed and dealing with moisture, right? You know, like, you Kelly, are you seeing that? Air stealing? Yeah, and it just and it's the fact that they're actually are they, are they are they concerned about the same issues? Like, is is there some sort of at least consensus of what you should be doing across the country? <laughs> Unfortunately, not. I mean, I think that um, those in the know all agree, and the motto in weatherization has been seal tight and ventilate right since before I came on eleven years ago. Um, but it has been. So we implemented the requirement to ventilate to the ASHRAE standard within my time here. And it has been a long and uh, difficult battle in some areas of the country where they think, well, the home needs to breathe. And if I seal it up too tight, then it's gonna be dangerous. <laughs> and you know, if you talk to Paul Francisco, just trying to get that message across that it's about controlling the air the way you want to, not just letting it come willy nilly um, because it, it varies so much by season and you get a lot of air changes when you don't want them, you don't get them when you do want them. 
but um, yeah, it's really hard. It's, I feel like the same for my, when I worked in construction, it's, it's one of those industries where everyone kind of just learned from the person before them and well, we've always done it this way. So why do we have to change now? And, you know, never mind that the life expectancy of a person used to be 40 years old, but um, yeah. We've come a long way. I feel like we've come a long way in the past 10 years, but there's still no consensus to every thousands of um, contractors out there. When you started, when you started, our life expectancy was 40. Is that what you're no, saying? No, not when I started. Like, I just mean construction it's been a while. and these, yeah. these traditional notions of, you know, what, what a building needs to be. <laughs> I, I take so so much exception to the concept of you put in you can run a bathroom fan x number of hours per day to create your air changes in your house that's freaking nonsense I'm, i'll go right after ashray on that that is to me that is the stupidest mindset because you're not controlling the pathways of the makeup air where the air is coming from you you depressurize a house just to get create air changes it's coming from interstitial spaces from wall cavities it's coming from that's not good air well, you're, you're skipping the first step, which is good air sealing. So, oh. uh, you know, that, okay. and that, but you're right. I mean, uh, that does go, that digs into your question that we're, we're kind of beating around the bush is that but if where's you don't the air do coming from when you, right. if, if you just pull it, if you don't ever pr provide a, you know, a pathway for the air that you want to come in to be the makeup air, it comes from where it wants to come from. <laughs> and, that's and that's another super hard battle, trying to get people to consider using those um, trickle vents, the passive air inlet vents. They, they think- Air in a well, bucket. Yep. Why am I sealing this house and I'm punching holes in it? Yeah. I mean, Bob, I agree with you and I have stories. Uh, I even did the same thing to my own house. And uh, it's certainly true that a, a, not, a, a planned ventilation system that includes the whole house is a million times better but also air sealing and putting in some ventilation is probably a substantial improvement for the majority of houses that it's done to. Yeah, the reality is just getting the vent out of the, you know, out of the attic is a giant, for majority of homes that I've seen, I've seen thousands, that's the, that's the, that's huge. I understand I'm a pure I'm a purist IQ guy so I'm, I'm coming strict from the IQ side I, I also take exception to using negative blower door tests instead of positive blower door tests too because I'm an IAQ guy I, I'm sorry that's just from my perspective that's how it makes sense so wait I want to challenge the, CEUs the, next yeah no yeah <laughs> I want to challenge this concept that we've all been living by like yeah, air sealed and ventilated right well what the heck is ventilated right it's just some dang phrase that ashray fan fits into or you know, this ventilator right is just a phrase that we think is like, okay, put in, I call it a fart fan, put in a big fart fan somewhere in the middle of the house and let it run either constantly or every so many times an hour. And we call that ventilation. And uh, I agree with Bob that we just are afraid to say, you know what, you need to do it right. And uh, we think about all the other things we spend our time on, whether even commercial properties, your car, everything. We have no problem with saying, let's make it the best it can be, but not when it comes to your homes. It's more like, yeah, it's kind of good enough. So um, I'm really waiting for somebody to say, you know what, here's what we need to do. I know Paul Francisco is on that page. He's in Illinois. So what are you guys really doing about stepping up your ventilation strategy um, in your area? Talk Anybody? south. Talk south first. Yeah. Bill. Talk to me again. I'm sorry. Okay. So, so Joe's question was, you know, what do you, what are you doing for your ventilation strategy? Because again, especially where you're located, pulling in un unconditioned out outdoor air has a significant latent load there. So, you know, just for, for makeup air, like if you're trying to ventilate by pulling in a bunch of unconditioned air, that doesn't sound like a good practice in your space. Oh, absolutely not. And and just to kind of reinforce that statement, you're using a bath fan to create air changes is the, the worst thing you can possibly do. And so kind of an evolution, and we're still learning, we're still trying to figure this out, because we didn't have a building code down here until 2007. And, and it's not very well enforced. And if you kind of look back at the Hard Rock Hotel in, in New Orleans, it's like, oh, there was no building code there at all. Anyway, the point is, that right now, I think what we're trying to do is when we look at the, we're on the 2009 energy code, which means we're supposed to be doing a blower door test and we're supposed to be doing a duct test. We don't do blower door tests down here. We do some duct tests. And so the point about it is you can do a visual inspection. So houses are not getting air sealed down to any kind of measurable air changes per hour. With all of that said, on top of that, is that we have found that you say, oh, use an ERV, that works really well. 
my experience with the HVAC contractors down here telling me that they've tried it and it doesn't work and I'm supporting that. So an ERV is not providing enough of the dehumidification that we need to have. And so what we're having to do now is install some sort of an inline or a separate or independent uh, dehumidification system. And I will argue with the HVAC contractors that some of the new equipment with the different fan speeds and things are creating different problems. And Doug and I have talked about that a little bit. So what are we doing? Not very much. Uh, <laughs> and I don't know if that was an answer or not, but not very much. <laughs> wait, wait, I'll start to Doug. Doug, are people paying for um, ERVs, HRVs um, in your market? It, they are. Um, they are. And I'm, I'm smiling because even our, the, the, uh, the level of commissioning and design is not where it should be. Uh, I'll just put it that way. And I think, um, you know, even in, even on some of our really nice expensive houses, we've had direct conversations with clients. Are you interested in this? It's a much better house. It's much better air. And we sometimes get the answer. No. Yeah. That's a good one right there. I should bring that into one of my sales meetings. I mean, it's um, even in a high-end uh, custom home environment, unless this thing is, is on the table as a standard part of a standard package, it's very challenging to talk clients through. I mean, it, you, know, you know how many years it took all of us to learn, and we're still learning. And trying to bring someone up to speed on that and get them to commit money to it is, is difficult when they have 10,000 other decisions to make. So I think it's, uh, like I said, sell, selling this is, is the battle. And it kind of has to be a default or at least an easy to access package to get people to do it. Well, Does anybody we, think that there are issues now with the virus? Will or this is not a virus conversation, but it is going to change people's philosophy about like I need to, I want to do something better in my home now that I'm I've been living in the dang thing more than ever. Does anybody think that we're going to see a increase in healthier homes, John, or something that actually says, you know what, I, I do want to make my home more. Uh, comfortable on a variety of levels to uh, deal with this that happens in the future. We've actually seen preceptors where as like next week we get released next Wednesday to go back to open air work to actually get back in the field and stuff. Um, a lot of the audits that are being put in place right now are on hold because they have to have reassurance that the, that the contractor is aware of the healthy home and what and how to be safe inside someone's home. So there's been a whole new platform for educating the contractors to get back into the homes and not contaminate, make these people sick or make them feel like they're gonna get sick. Um, so that's one platform, but the whole thing behind this now is we're all looking at making everything we do to the next level of health. So the healthy homes idea is coming into play right now and it's being forced into play if people like it or not. Um, I'll give you an example. Last week, I had 28 people in a healthy homes class out of the blue. And the week before, I had 12. And in two weeks, I've got, I think, another 13 or 14. It's happening. We're seeing our contractors are being conscious to make sure that the work they do is healthy. So our contractors are catching on to it. Um, programs, utilities, whatever, they're slowly getting the idea for it. Is this predominantly, though, on the building performance side versus weatherization? I mean, the people that you're dealing with, or is, is it a mixed bag? With mixed the healthy bag. Homes I, I, got, I had uh, people from down south, which was hilarious. I had people from South Carolina who are part of the DOE program under the WEPIs. They came in here for the healthy homes. The rest are all from um, utility-run programs or stuff like that or co-ops. So it's, it's a little bit of a mixed batch, but... You know, everyone is in their minds are actually thinking about the healthy homes and the way we're going to start doing it. So, like in our pilot program, it's being pushed. It's been pushed. It's being pushed to get ahead. Again, it goes back to the, the stupid money thing. Um, and I hate to say it, but it's a stupid money thing. It's the right <laughs> thing to do. The platform's there. The science is there. We got the right people to do it. And now it's just egregious money that's got to be put in place program guys how do we deal with the this this stupid money issue <laughs> well i i wanted to just say I, I felt bad about um making it sound like our weatherization contractors are kind of slow to the table i think that 
it's it's nice that you brought up the health issue again, Joe. And I do think maybe this will be the kick we need to bring more people along this this pandemic that we're all living through. But I think what really holds holds it makes them averse to adding ventilation or doing things like that is because the the housing stock we're working on, these folks spend like 30, 40% of their income on utility bills and, and they aren't able to buy the food that they want or the medications that they need. So their first and foremost goal is to save these people money. And that's always been the thing. So we can talk about the, the improved health outcomes that come from proper ventilation, but that's a bit esoteric when it comes down to like being able to afford, you know, your kids' school books or not. And so when they hear about this ventilation, they think, well, my whole point is to try and save them money. And now I'm going to suck out all that conditioned air or introduce other stuff. So it, it is. My, my, my only brief combat is that we're just now understanding that what are the health benefits that actually also save them money. That, right. That's less days miss of school and work and going to the doctor and other stuff. So when we figure out a way to really try to monetize the whole package, we're going to find out that there is a compromise that it could be here and it could be a, a major benefit for the family mm -hmm. as well as making the house work better for the family. And Those that are harder gonna... to quantify though. Those numbers are, they really yeah. are. I mean, because I've been an INQ guy for 35 years and, you know, our whole business is trying to sell, you know, better indoor air and, you know, you know, healthier indoor environments and all that. And those, those are hard things to, you know, right. you know, give you to, to, to really, you know, empirically demonstrate, you know, it's like, hard, yes, yeah. you know it, but. Harvard and a few others are actually finally making steps to make this more of a quantitative thing to confirm. So again, five years from now, we'll actually be able to give an idea about air leakage is associated directly with a variety of um, illnesses. Yeah, I was going to say it's hard for us, but it's not that hard for a multi-million dollar insurance company. No. Um, believe me, they, they're, they've already, they're already figuring out because we pay the money for it. So they know they, they have, they, there is the numbers there. And that's what I think, you know, Joe's question was, uh, and you did a good job of answering your question afterwards too, Joe, but my answer to Joe's question is Joe's answer, which is that we need to monetize it. I know that there has been, you know, we talk about our return on investment with the DOE program with that money. We need to make sure that uh, everything that we do in the house can pay for itself over a certain amount of time. And when we get to the point that we can add in the, um, the, uh, that, uh, the, the, what else, the uh, physical or health, uh, uh, um, value that adds to the energy value then we're going to see then we can do we can do um the m word rem remediation and the you know as you word remediation we're gonna be able to do all that stuff because um you know air sealing you know mold stuff i said it sorry i didn't mean to cuss in front of everybody all that stuff we can put it into one bag and, and show that it pays for itself one thing i would make a comment about is one thing we are seeing up here like in connecticut is changing is we do, I do a lot of certificate of occupancies for new builds and stuff. And now that we have to meet codes and some of us are playing under 2015 code, it's getting harder and harder for those builders to build the houses the way they're supposed to be. So what they're doing is bringing people in like us at the pre-planning stage saying, how do we do this? And I'll tell them, you know, 60, 40 paint this, we're gonna do this, we're gonna air seal this. And then when we do, we actually add in ERVs, HRVs, or whatever needed ventilation we need. <clears throat> this way, at the end, he goes, I spent another 16000 but he's now selling the house for another 80000 more because it is a healthy home. And by all means, it's a much more pleasant place to live. So the industry is changing when it comes to new construction. I don't know if Doug's seeing that on your side, but up here, we're starting to see it. Um, back in Syracuse, we used to have what the parade of homes. Remember, we used to have that. They still doing that? Um, yeah, they they are. I mean, and, and I, John's going to refer to. So I I was the green consultant on uh, a house in on a parade of homes in 2000, uh, 2009. and it was uh, it was when NAHB came out with their their first green rating to compete with uh, the U.S. Green Building Council. And uh, so, we, so we actually, we were seeking to be the first emerald uh, rated house in that program in the country. Um, 
we ended up being the first gold house in New York state and the sixth one in the country or seventh in the country. Uh, but it, again, it was like Darth Vader green. I, I have to qualify the 4,800 square foot house that you call a net zero house. And it was, we actually hit it. We, we had vertical uh, wind turbines, uh, solar PV on the roof, ground source geothermal with two heat pumps, one doing domestic hot water, the other one doing the cooling and heating, you know, uh, 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 soy-based spray foam, which we all know is 25% renewable and 75% petrochemical. You know, like I love when they say green spray foam. Yeah, okay, not so much, but you know, everything was air sealed. Every, you know, every framing union was, you know, we, we just, we really went after all uh, low, you know, zero VOC type products, uh, an HRV system, but actually we used an H, uh, a Fantech that was an HRV because for in the winter months, that's what you need in New York. But unfortunately in the summer, HRV is worthless. So we actually... That particular unit had a, a core that you could put in an ERV core in the in the summer months. And I, I remember I went around with Fantech about that too. Because they were like, well, no, you should have an HRV. Like, yeah, except in the summer, you know. <laughs> so so we actually part of the specification on this house was, you know, come May, you switch to you switch to the ERV core on the unit. Now it's an ERV for the summer. So I mean it, it can be done, right? And the house really hit net zero. It was insane, you know, in a weird way. But it, you know, and indoor air quality wise, it was amazing. You walk into a brand new construction home and have literally no obvious VOCs anywhere. I mean, you walk, the house just had no odor at all. It was just nice. Yeah, I could I could go on and on about what my <clears throat> Bill uh, uh, Hayward, who's the founder, what he's done in his home. So, but kids, it's that time for us to try to wrap up. So here's what we normally do: is we kind of go around the horn and. I'll ask a general question and you can answer whatever you want, Jay, but um, in general, if, if you you now have control, what's the one thing you would want your program, your builders, your community to do to make homes uh, better or be able to fix more of them? However, that fits you because we have a variety of things here. So, uh, Doug, why don't we go to you? Why don't you say, you know, here's the one thing I wish all of my clients could buy or something like that. So, yeah. I mean, my clients can buy anything. They just don't understand what they should buy. So for me, I think generally bringing up the level of the industry is 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 the way forward. And uh, I personally, I don't think, I think that improving codes actually is very helpful. Personally, a lot, rubs a lot of people the wrong way, but that's the thing I would do. How about you, Bill? Well, I only got a couple minutes. I'm sorry, but anyway. So here's what I'm thinking: <laughs> is, is that up until recently, you know, I was a durable, efficient, and healthy kind of a home person, but after some other exposures, my, my vision now is uh, occupant health, which is kind of the same thing of what we're talking about right here. And I am finding as I go to homes and it's opening up here, so I'm making more and more home visits, is, is the homeowners don't seem to know in these existing homes that they can do anything about it. I was on the phone with somebody last night who has uh, a young child who's got a lot of asthma and respiratory problems. And I said, there's some things you can do. In fact, I was talking about your 20 inch fan with the 16 Merv uh, filter, Joe. But I mean, people don't know that. So I think that in general, if we can educate people about what they can do, that's the first step. So we get a almost a pull through application rather than a push through. Excellent. All right, Jay, you're up. Mine's pretty simple. If we could figure out a way to efficiently, um, effectively uh, water seal basements and crawl spaces. Um, and uh, I would assume my guess is that would help with radon as well, but that would be the, the one thing I would want, some, the ability to do that. John, what's on your hit list? My hit list is the education of, like Bill was saying, of the, the consumer. One of the thing, problems I see is the consumers do not know what they need. They guess what they need. They pay what their cousin told them or their best friend told them. Really going into a, going into a house and educating them on what they really need so they understand what they're getting and then how to maintain it after you leave. I can install anything in the world, but once I leave, you don't know how to take care of it. Might as well not have done it. Kelly, I'm gonna give you two brief things that you could talk about, like what can we do as a program in general, because you have the ability to kind of influence or give guidance to an enormous amount of people. So I'll, I'll give you two hit lists. So let's, what, what do you got? Thank you. I was gonna ask for two. Thanks, Joe. <laughs> So I think there are two there are two big big things that come to mind on a, on the broad scale. This goes to the client education. It goes to contractor education to getting them um, on board with this stuff. I think you guys in the healthy indoors 
industry need to give us quantifiable, acceptable levels of indoor air pollutants because we know what those pollutants are, but there's no set standards. So getting a contractor to understand um, that we want them to ventilate for air quality, but then we can't define, well, what level of VOC is okay? What level of PPM 2.5 is okay? Or, um, or PM 2.5, you know? So I know we have that for some indoor pollutants, but we need those numbers so that we can start holding people to a standard. And the second thing, would be within the limitations of the weatherization assistance program. Um, I've been advocating for this. So this is me, this isn't DOE. I really wish that we could make, we, we have to adhere to the savings to investment ratio. I wish we could look at air sealing and ventilation as one air control measure uh, as a package, package and let that be part of it and have health and safety pay some portion of it, but also yeah, let it be like one measure. Excellent. You took one of mine, but okay. <clears throat> I do think that my, my soapbox is usually about ventilation, but I really wish that the health industry would get involved with the fact that your building is why they came to see their doctor. And the sooner we can bridge that uh, relationship between, you know, your, your asthma is being potentially aggravated or, um, you know, exasperated by your house, is it something the doctor thinks about? The doctor first wants to say, oh, let's increase your medication. So the sooner we get a relationship between what you're, how you're feeling in your home is a major step. So Bob, you're up. Yeah, well, I mean, let's face it. We have uh, 80,000 plus chemicals, right? On the task list, 80, uh, 80, I don't even know what it is now. It's almost 90,000, um, you know, out of which what six are actually regulated. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and one of them, one or compounds, you know, because one of them is asbestos, uh, which which is you know it's like great, uh, and that's not really all that regulated because we still haven't banned the import of products with asbestos in the United States, so we're not really uh, we're not really doing a really great job of uh, you know building healthier indoor environments yet. I think there's a lot of talk about it. Um, I've been in this industry, you know, working in the IAQ side since the mid eighties. And I had all these aspirations as a young man of how great things were going to be in the early nineties. And then I figured, well, late nineties and then the two thousands. And here I am in 2020 now, and we're still doing the same stupid stuff we were doing fundamentally in construction and maintenance of buildings. And we're still, you know, people are still, yes, they're more aware of get bringing in products that, you know, are less, you know, less uh, adverse to their indoor areas, but not enough. We're still we're still doing stupid stuff. So we we got a long ways to go, in my opinion. Um, Real quick on, on that comparison, in the same amount of time, look at what we did with cars and airplanes and uh, other things that were important to us. That man, those things escalated on a, a level it's hard to fathom. Meanwhile, we're still building homes like Grandpappy did. No, we still we had rivers on fire at one point, and we took care of that. I mean, we may have rivers on fire again the way we were deregulating, but. Um, yeah, I, I think we. St the thing is, I do think this COVID pandemic crisis is potentially a springboard to, you know, to people at least they got slapped in the head. And now, you know, there, there's going to be, I think, more awareness of what you're exposing yourself to, maybe. So this could be a, la a launch pad for that or not. I'm not totally optimistic that it will happen. So uh, we're at the end of our regular time. We're going to do an overtime. Uh, so we're going to ask you, anybody that's watching live, hang with us. We're going to pause for a second, uh, do our closeout stuff, and then we'll be right back on uh, for maybe another 15 or 20 minutes to just cover some of these issues a little bit further. Uh, and we welcome our panelists that can stay with us to stay with us. I understand some of you may have to bail. That's all cool. Um, so with that, um, just want to uh, mention uh, Joe with Hayward Score. Hayward Score, uh, Tell, tell us about Hayward Score because it is a uh, great tool that's available yeah. to you. Yeah, thanks, Bob. It's a free online assessment tool that helps homeowner, homeowners determine if their home is impacting their health and how to make their home more healthy for them and their family. And uh, we give you uh, a variety of uh, individual action items that you can actually complete on your own time. So in terms of the virtual assessment, we are actually one of the original virtual home assessments that could be, uh, be done right now, anytime it's free. Thanks. Which is neat, and then of course I'll pl I'll plug Healthy Indoors magazine. Um, obviously, you you know where it is if you're watching the show because you're probably either on HealthyIndoors.com or uh, somewhere on one of our affiliate uh, social media channels. But we are a uh, monthly free digital publication available worldwide. Um, great resource. We have a repository of over seven years of articles, videos, all kinds of good stuff. Um, 
that you know you can access at healthyindoors.com as well as this show the healthy indoors show and our healthy indoors podcast which is basically recordings of our healthy indoors show so you can take joe and me and all the rest of the gang with you in your car as well <laughs> so uh with that, we're going to close out the show. We'll be back in about one minute um, for uh, a little overtime session to try to answer a couple more of these questions that we had to miss. So I thank you very much for the Healthy Indoor Show. I'm Bob Krell. Stay healthy.